once again, good morning. I'm so glad you're here today. And for those of you that are tuning in online, so glad that you are with us as well. If you are visiting with us, man, we are delighted that you are here. Hope you'll um, uh, come back and be with us again. Find a place that you can call home here. And uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you personally, I'd love to do that. I'll be in this lobby today after service, so I'd love to meet you. Um, but uh, we're just delighted you're a part of our service. Today, we're actually completing a series we began several weeks ago, and the series has been um, entitled Sheepish. We've been looking at the promises of God that he makes to us and how we position ourselves to receive those promises. In Scripture, there are over 7,000 promises that are made to us by God. And yet, so many people don't access those. And the reason for that is, is that we have to take a position that we don't like many times. And that position is God depicts himself many times with word pictures and scriptures. And the, one of the most prolific ways that he depicts himself is as a shepherd. But in order to access the promises of a shepherd, you have to take the position of a sheep. And no one really likes to be sheep, right? Because sheep aren't powerful necessarily in and of themselves. Sheep don't have any authority. Sheep really aren't that smart sometimes. You know, nobody likes to be called that. And yet, we have to assume that position of humility, realizing in and of ourselves, we don't have it all together. In and of ourselves, just by the own things that we have, we don't have the ability to not only access the promises of God, we don't have the ability to access God himself. Today is one of my favorite messages for this because this one deals with almost the impossible. I mean, there have been many times where a shepherd has become a leader. Moses was a shepherd. And Moses led the people of Israel out of Egypt. David was a shepherd, and David became a king. But this is the only time in the history of mankind, in the history of anything, that a shepherd became a sheep to become the king of kings and the lord of lords. He literally did the impossible by doing what we could not do. By living a life that we were incapable of living, by paying a price that we were incapable of paying, and by rising to new life to give us a life that we did not deserve, is what Jesus did. As a matter of fact, this morning at the end of our message, we're going to partake of Holy Communion together. And this message is all about setting the table for the Lord's Supper today. The reason why is I want you to grasp the gravity of what we do when we take Holy Communion. I don't want you to do it just by going through a ritual, going through a routine. I want you to understand what is going on. When we take a wafer that represents the body of Christ, when we take a cup that represents the blood of Christ, what does that actually mean to you and to me? And in order to understand that, we have to understand how Jesus on the night before he is going to be crucified for your sins and for my sins, on the night before he is going to pay the price for all mankind's sins, on the night before he sits with his disciples and he tells them that he is so anticipating observing what is called a Passover meal with them before he suffers. Now, why is that important? Because Jesus is going to literally take the Passover meal of the Old Testament and be the bridge to take the old promises and convert them to a new covenant where he lives in us and lives with us forever and ever. In order to understand this, you actually have to understand what a Passover meal was. In the Old Testament, way back in the book of Exodus, at the end of Genesis, 
God had made some promises to Abraham. And to him, he said, your people, your descendants are going to be numerous as the sands of the seashore, and they are going to bless the world. And Abraham had one son, but that one son had 12 sons. And through him, he said, he's going to bless the world. But then he said, there's going to be this time, though, that you don't understand. You're going to be long gone where they're going to go into captivity. And after they go into captivity, 400 years later, they're going to come out and they're going to come out stronger. And so the Bible tells us at the end of Genesis that his children, Jacob's children, Abraham's grandchildren, they are forced into Egypt because of a famine. And they go there. One of the sons has become a ruler in Egypt, the second in command, Joseph. And they find favor there, and they begin to live there with a lot of favor and with a lot of uh, joy there. But over the years, the Egyptian king dies. Joseph dies, who was the second in command. And they fall out of favor with the Egyptian people so much that they were not liked. They were disdained, and then they were put into slavery, not allowed to leave at all. And they cried out to the Lord, and God heard their cries and he raised up one of the men I mentioned earlier, a man named Moses, who was a shepherd. And he said, I want you to go to the king of Egypt, who is Pharaoh, and I want you to tell him that he is to let the people of God, let them go. He's not going to listen to you, but that's okay. When he doesn't listen to you, I'm going to do miraculous signs. I'm going to do miraculous wonders. And eventually, he's going to listen to you. But it won't be because he sees miracles. It's going to be because of the pain, because he refuses to see. And so Moses does what God says. He goes to Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, I'm absolutely not letting a labor force of four million slaves leave this place. No. So God sends the first sign, which was a plague. God sends a second, a third. A fourth, he begins to get Pharaoh's attention where Pharaoh calls him back and says, tell, tell God to relent and I'll, 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 I'll let them go. He doesn't do it. A fifth, a sixth, he says, I'll, I'll do it. Tell God to stop. I'll do it. He doesn't do it. A seventh, an eighth, a ninth, and he still doesn't do it. He threatens Moses' life. He says, if you ever come back here, I'll kill you. And God said, tell Pharaoh that on this night, my judgment is going to pass because of his stubbornness. And an angel of death is going to sweep across this land. It's going to kill the firstborn of every, every family. And he said, but for the people of Israel, he said, here's what you're to do. You are to take a lamb. You're to sacrifice it. And you're to take the blood of the lamb and put it over the doorpost of the house and when the angel of death and wrath comes, when he sees the blood applied to the house, my judgment will pass over. And so it's exactly what happened. Pharaoh even lost his child. To the point the next day, he said, get out. Get out and leave. And the people left Egypt. And then God told them, I want you to remember this and celebrate this from this time forward. And I want you to do it by remembering through a Passover meal. And in the meal, you're going to remember the bitterness of the slavery that I delivered you out of. You're going to remember how I brought it about through the blood and the sacrifice. And you're going to remember the goodness of God, even because my mercy and my grace supplied for you the judgment passed over you. And for centuries, they did that. They followed that. As a matter of fact, in Exodus chapter 12, verse 26, God says, and when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? 
Then tell them, it's the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt, spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. So he said, you to remember this. Tell your children that we had to sacrifice a lamb. We had to, to eat it in celebration of that, to cook it and eat it. And then we put the blood over the doorpost and judgment passed over us. As Jesus is preparing for his final night before he is crucified, he sits with his disciples observing this meal, and it changes everything. In Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 15, Jesus reveals to them that he himself is going to be a bridge that takes the Passover meal and converts it to a remembrance of God's grace and his mercy upon our life through Jesus. In verse 15, it says, And Jesus said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. What Jesus is telling them is, for centuries, we have remembered what God did way back then. But from this moment forward, I am taking that remembrance and I am converting it now. I am converting it to a remembrance of what I'm going to do tomorrow. Because just so you know, there'll be no more lambs needed. There'll be no more sacrifice needed. There'll be no more blood that is spilled after tomorrow because my sacrifice will be enough in that. The whole goal of communion is to remember the sacrifice of Jesus and that he was the perfect lamb of God. As a matter of fact, the John the Baptist, when Jesus came out of the wilderness down to be baptized, John looked at him and said, behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. One lamb after centuries of needless, countless sacrifices, one lamb takes them all. There were four requirements for a Passover lamb that Jesus fulfilled on the cross. I want to give those to you. The first one was this. The lamb had to be spotless. It had to be spotless. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 5, it says, The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect. and You may take them from the sheep or the goats. So no, splot, no, no, no spots, no blemishes, no deformities, nothing. Why? Because in order to honor God, they were supposed to give their best. But by the time that Jesus was on this earth, they had ceased doing it out of the sincerity of their heart. They had ceased giving their best and it started giving God less and it meant less to them. As a matter of fact, on the Sunday, Jesus was crucified on the end of the week, on a Friday. On the Sunday prior to that, what we call Palm Sunday, Jesus comes into the city. Jesus goes into the temple. He walks into the temple and he sees some monetary transactions that are taking place. And it infuriates him to such an extent that he goes over to the tables and he turns those tables over. He takes whips and drives people out of the temple and says, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, not a den of robbers. So what infuriated him so much? He was so angry because they had taken what God meant to be a remembrance and they had turned it into a money-making endeavor. People were required to bring a lamb 
They were proud to sacrifice it, and then they were able to take that sacrifice with them and enjoy the Passover meal. They were allowed to do that. But the religious leaders had worked out a system where they, when they would bring the lamb to it, it had to be inspected because it needed to be spotless, it needed to be without deformity, and it needed to have no blemishes on it. It had to be perfect. In almost every case, when a person brought their lamb to the, to the religious leaders, they would declare that it was not sufficient. They would require them to walk over to a table that had spotless lambs and buy them at an exorbitant price. The lambs were not spotless. The lambs many times were deformed, but they had a system going so they could get a kickback of the money. Jesus was infuriated. It had to be spotless. You see, if the people genuinely came to God, giving their best to him, the best that they could do, it was always going to be insufficient. But then they took it and converted it and perverted it in order to make money out of it. And he said, this is not the will of my father. As a matter of fact, many of the animals were even more unclean than what they were deemed unclean, what they brought. You see, to the religious leaders, that Passover meal was not meaningful anymore. It was just a tradition. Can I just tell you something? Communion is supposed to mean something. It's not a tradition. You just don't go through the motions. You need to remember that there was a perfect sacrifice, Jesus, who came to this earth and willingly died for your sins and my sins so that we might have eternal life. Something unclean can never make something clean. But Jesus was perfect. And the Bible says because he was perfect, he has the ability to perfect us. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, it tells us that you and I were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Can I just tell you something? This is going to be liberating for some of you. It has never been about whether you can be perfect enough for God. In and of yourself, you're never going to be perfect. You're never going to be right by your own ability. You can't do it. There's no way to do it. And you live and you strive and you're trying to continually live up to a standard that you can't live. Listen, this is the beautiful thing that God does for us. We are incapable of living a perfect life. Jesus lived it for us, died for us, gave his blood for us, gave his spirit to us, though we were incapable of it. Now he empowers us to live holy and different. And when you make mistakes, the blood of Jesus Christ is there to cover your sins. You don't have to be weighed down in condemnation anymore. You don't even have to be weighed down in guilt or shame. You are set free by the blood of Jesus Christ. He who was spotless has applied the spotless love of blood of Jesus Christ to your life. So when Christ sees us, when the Father sees us, he sees us through the lens and the filter of the spotless lamb, and we're called clean and holy in his sight. That's good news. The lamb had to be spotless. The second thing was the lamb had to be sacrificed. Had to be sacrificed. Verse 6 of Exodus 12 says, Take care of the lambs until the 14th day of the month, when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. 
Slaughter is probably the most accurate, accurate word you can describe the death of Jesus. Now, some of you are going to, next few moments, say, oh, you're making me uncomfortable. I'm not here to make you uncomfortable. I'm here to tell you the truth. God didn't choose to send his son today. He chose to send his son at one of the most brutal, cruel times of torture and execution in the history of mankind. He didn't send him today to give his life through lethal injection. He sent him at a time when they were so cruel, it is hard to even imagine the cruelty and the enjoyment of the cruelty to such an extent. The cruelest form of execution, which was crucifixion, was a public spectacle that they would put at the crossroads of major thoroughfares going into the cities so everyone could come and look at it and watch it. Here's how God described that the punishment was going to be. In Isaiah, hundreds of years prior to it, Isaiah 53 says that he would be pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was placed upon him, and by his wounds were healed. Four things that it talks about, that he would be wounded. The wounds that Jesus received were not insignificant. Before he ever went to a cross, the Romans would brutally torture someone. And they would do it with what was called flogging or whipping. But I don't, we're not talking about a whipping with your mom and daddy's belt here. This is a brutal form where it would take a whip that was called a cat of nine tails that had nine lashes on it separated with pieces of metal and glass that were attached to it and men that were professionals at operating it to such an extent when they landed in flesh, they wouldn't bring it back, land in flesh, rip down and do the greatest amount of damage. 39 stripes was all that you could do by Roman law because they deemed 40 too much. 13 would go here for those being crucified, 13 would go here, and 13 would be on the back. And you know why? 13 would go here and here to separate the muscles of the shoulder because it was the only way they'd be able to pull themselves up and get air. 13 on the back was every time they pulled themselves up, they would feel the rough-hewn timber on their back. Cruelty to a measure that we cannot even imagine today. Jesus took his cross and carried it all the way up for you and for me. After that whipping, they placed the crossbeam on his shoulders and forced him to carry it up this unbelievably steep hill. That if you go today, you can walk that path. It is called the Via Dolorosa. Literally means the way of suffering. He was wounded. He was punished. The guards would take them back to their barracks, their locker room of sorts. The Bible says the guards took him back there. They spat upon him. They humiliated him. They took 
parts of his beard and his hair and they plucked them out by just handfuls. They took thorns and weaved them together into what was called a crown, a circle. And they placed it on his head and they jammed it and beat it into his head where the external pressure was so extreme, but they would drive it even in through where it would begin to start the brain swelling, causing migraines. The punishment that we might have peace with God and peace of mind was placed upon his head. He was wounded. He was punished. The Bible says that he was crushed for our iniquities. He was laid upon a cross. The vertical beam would always stand. It was always in the ground. The cross beam he carried up the hill. And they had him lay down on the ground. And they attached his arms to the cross beam. Normally, they would attach with ropes. In most situations. Only for the worst criminals and the most heinous crimes would they use nails. And for Jesus, they drove nails in between his bones of his wrist. They hoisted him up, set him in place, and then nailed his feet. They, in his arms, they didn't stretch them wide. They stretched them to about right here. His feet were curled up under him so that his body would literally hang like this. Every time you wanted to breathe, he had to push up off nail-pierced feet with nail-pierced arms on dislocated shoulders and a back that was open to carry one breath. You say, Pastor, this is making me uncomfortable. I need you to know what Jesus did for you. You need to know. As he is raised up with every breath that he takes, it takes every amount of strength. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us I mean, the, the historians tell us that you didn't die of the wounds. You died of suffocation because you finally couldn't push yourself up any longer. The fourth way that Isaiah said is that he would be pierced. They would normally, after a while, after six or seven hours, they would come by, and if the, if the person had not died yet, they would break the legs of the person so they couldn't push anymore. Jesus, they thought, had already died. And so instead of breaking his legs, they took a, peer, a spear and they pierced it in his side and it pierced into his heart. And the pericardial sac that was around it with water and his heart that contained blood. And the Bible says blood and water flowed out. Literally, his heart exploded. Jesus didn't die from nails. He didn't die from a cross. He died because his heart was so broken for you that he gave his life, left everything in heaven to come for you. When we honor communion and we take a wafer, we remember the brokenness that Jesus did so that we might be made whole. We remember the blood that was spilled by Jesus so that we might be washed clean. It's not trivial. It's not tradition. 
It's not perfunctory. It's meaningful. The third way, the final way about the lamb that Exodus tells us was the lamb had to be shared. In verse four, it says, if any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor. Couldn't have leftovers. You had to share the lamb, you had to eat all of it. And that, my friends, is a perfect symbol of what your calling is and what my calling is. We have been given a treasure in Jesus Christ, a perfect lamb that we accept, but it is not to be just received, it is to be shared. There's a quote by Ed Stetzer, who's a leading um, Christian evangelist and teacher. He says, Christians love evangelism as long as someone else is doing it. Here's what 2 Corinthians 5.19 tells us. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So God reconciled through his sacrifice of Jesus. And now he's committed that message of us to share with the world. You've not fully experienced the resurrection until you help someone share in it. I want to tell you something. God, I know this. God opens up doors for us all the time if we just open our eyes to see it. Jesus said to his disciples, open your eyes to the harvest. The fields are white. It's right there. You don't have to search for it. If you just ask, Lord, show me the opportunities that are available to share Jesus with someone in their questions, in their difficult times. When they ask me how I've been through a difficult time, how did you make it through that difficult time? Let me, open those doors for me. Lord, give me the courage to just invite them to church so that they can hear a message or good news about what Jesus has done for our lives and what's available to them. Lord, open up the doors that I can walk through. I've never, ever, 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 ever met someone that prayed that prayer and said, no, he didn't open a door at all. He will open doors wide, especially to those who are ready to share that message of reconciliation, that you don't have to live this way. But God has done everything in his power to bring you and reconnect you with him as he originally destined you to be. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're in this room or watching online, today, you know whether the Lord is speaking with you, tugging at your heart. Because before this message is to be shared with anyone else, the message is to be received. The sacrifice is to be received by you. If you know when you came in this place, things weren't right between you and the Lord, you could pray something like this, Lord Jesus, I recognize that you are the perfect lamb and that your sacrifice was so great and all sufficient and enough for everything that I need. Forgive me of my sins and the way I used to live and give me a right spirit. Help me as I follow you and yield to your lordship 
and obey what your word and your spirit says to me. And I will never be the same. Now, if everyone in the room would just pray this prayer with me, just say, Jesus, I give you my life. Come on, say, Jesus, I give you my life. Now, with your head's bowed and your eyes closed, if that's you, you're in the room and you know that things aren't right between you and the Lord, but you're making a decision to follow him for the first time or the first time in a long time. I'm not here to embarrass you. I just want to pray for you this week. If that's you, would you raise your hand really high just for a moment? Keep it up. God bless you. Yeah, you're not alone. Just keep them up just a moment, please. Yeah. Yeah. All right, you can put them down. Father, I thank you right now for lives that are changed for one reason, because of your goodness and your grace to us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I thank you now that in these next few moments as we partake of Holy Communion, some of these folks that made a decision, for the first time, they're going to partake of communion. And there's no guilt, there's no shame, but there's gratitude and there's grace and there's hope. For the rest of us, Lord, I pray that you would allow us to, as we participate, recognize all that you've done for us and with gratitude in our hearts and with boldness in our faith. Lean in to the promises of God that you offer us. Promises of peace and of provision and of hope and of righteousness. They're available, not of our own doing, because a price was paid by Jesus on our behalf. And now we get to live in the promise and the hope that he's given to us. And by faith, we receive communion today and give you praise for it. Amen and amen. You should have received some elements when you came in this morning. If you would take those elements, and if you did not receive elements when you came in, would you just raise your hand? We've got folks that will get those to you. Like you just leave your hands up just for a moment, please. Let me give you some instructions. Um, as you are taking the elements and you receive them, there is a um, clear, um, clear seal at the top. If you'll unseal that, there you can find the wafer. Take the wafer out, and then there's another seal underneath that. If you'll unseal that, you'll find the, the juice that is there. And then when you get those, uh, if you would, please hold those. Um, in just a few moments, I'm going to come back, and we're all going to partake together. And this is a great opportunity to serve. If you see anyone around you that seems to be struggling, getting the elements ready, getting the seals, reach over and help them, okay? And um, as we are preparing not only the elements, I want you to prepare your heart. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to remember the sacrifice Jesus made for you. But I also want you to remember the promises of God and think, what do I need from the Lord? If God did not withhold his only son from us, is there any good gift he would not give us? If you need something physically and a healing, if you need something financially and provision, if you need a reconciliation and restoration in your family, if you need emotional peace in your mind, what is it you need from the Lord? And I want you to prepare to receive that as we partake of Holy Communion today. Prepare your hearts, your minds, and prepare the physical elements now in these next few moments.
gonna ask if you would to please stand with me as we partake of Holy Communion. The Apostle Paul writes about it as he remembers and instructs us on how we are to partake of it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 23, he says, on the same night the Lord was betrayed, he took bread, and after he blessed it, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. Would you remember the broken body of Christ? And in the same manner, he took the cup. He said, this cup is my blood in the new covenant. Take and drink as often as you do in remembrance of me. Would you remember the blood of Christ? For as often as you drink the cup, you eat the bread, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You remember what he's done. You remember that he is with you. And you remember that his promises are still to come. You know, part of being the body of Christ is that we pray for one another and we care for one another. If you're in this room right now, I mentioned it earlier, but maybe you've got a physical need or maybe you've got some, something you just need peace about or a relational need or maybe even financial need. Would you be willing just to say, you know what, I, that, that's me. I, I, I need to have the faith to depend on the Lord. Just be brave. Hold your hand up really high. It's okay. Hands all over the room, folks. Here's what I'd like for you to do. Keep those hands up, please. Keep them up. Please. I'm going to pray for us, but if you see a hand near you, I want you to just step to them and maybe just put a hand on their back or their shoulder, and I want you to just pray for one another as I pray for us right now. Let's be the body of Christ together. No one praying alone right now. Let's do that right now in the name of Jesus. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for all that you've done. We thank you that in your brokenness, we've been made whole. We thank you that in your spilling of your blood, we've been made clean, Lord. I pray right now for every person in this room that needs the faith to stand upon your word right now, oh Lord. I pray for those that, have, that need peace of mind, oh God. I pray that the peace that passes all human understanding would guard their hearts and their minds in Christ Jesus, oh Lord. I pray for those that need provision in their life, financial right now. God, I pray that they remember that you own the cattle of a thousand hills, that you said you'll supply all of our needs according to your glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray that you just pour out your blessings of provision on your people today. Meet needs as only you can. Oh God, I pray for those that have difficulties in their families or at their work or in friendships right now. I pray in the name of Jesus right now, oh Lord, that not only is the ministry of reconciliation given to us to lead people with that to that reconciled life with Christ, but it is a reconciliation between brothers and sisters, husbands and wives, co-workers, family members, friends right now. Lord, I just speak peace and healing and reconciliation over those lives right now. Lord, in the name of Jesus, for every person that has a physical, dealing with a physical battle right now in their life, Lord, I pray that you would touch their body, Lord. I pray that if it's a disease, Lord, that you speak down to a cellular and a molecular level, oh Lord, and create Anything that is wrong, recreate it and make it right in the name of Jesus. You spoke this world into creation, O Lord. At your word, everything must happen. At your word, O Lord, every disease must bow. At your word, every wound must heal. At your word, O Lord, peace comes into our hearts and our minds.
minds at your word, Lord, provision rains down from you. At your word, Lord, we are declaring that our faith is in you. And Lord, we don't know how you're going to do it. We don't know when you're going to do it. We don't know how and where you're going to do it. But we know, oh Lord, that our trust is in you and we depend on your word because you always have the last word in every situation. And so by faith, Lord, we stand on your word. We stand on your promises and we look forward to the hope that you've given to each of us, not only in this life, but in the life to come. In the precious and holy name of Jesus, we declare these things. Amen, amen, and amen. Come on, give the Lord praise in this place. Hallelujah. celebrate one of the most important things that we do around here is give people an opportunity to, to make Jesus Lord and Savior of their life and accept what he's done for them and we always the Bible says that there's rejoicing in the presence of angels when that happens nine people made a decision for Jesus today and so why don't we give the Lord praise amen if you made a decision today or maybe you've made that decision in the last few weeks um, as soon as service is over with, we've got some of our Grow Team members. They'll be right down front. We would love to get some information to you about just uh, following Jesus. Also, 
If you are new to North or want to get plugged in here at North, these same folks can just give you some information, give them two minutes of your time, and they'll get you in the right direction to find out about the ministries here at North, about your opportunity to find your passions and your giftings and all of those things. We'd love to help you along the way. As you leave today in either of the lobbies, please also, um, our Christmas outreach tables are there. Stop by. You have the opportunity, like we have every single year, to make a difference in the life of hundreds of uh, children. And so we want to do that. Just stop by on your way out and find out some more information about that. One of my greatest privileges is to speak a blessing over you from Numbers chapter 6 every single time, uh, every single week. And one of my greatest privileges. And so allow me to do that today. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace in the name of Jesus. Let's give our response from Psalm 19. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. God bless you folks. Love you. Have a great week.